0: To wide foodie x facing Max right on the only podcast taking you under the helmet.
1: R-D-D. R-D-D.
0: Expert analysis breaking down the quarterback play in the NFL each weekend. Don't they feel good when your crowd behind you? Let's give them something to chill for now. This is inside the pocket Ooh-hoo. with your host Greg McElroy. Welcome in. It is inside the pocket. It is week seven of the NFL season. Andrew Emmer alongside Greg McElroy. Hope all of you are having a wonderful week. I know who's been having a wonderful week. Pretty easy to figure this out, right? I mean, has to be. It's got to be Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, who, by the way, put together what was maybe his best career performance. And it didn't look like it was going to be that way. I mean, if anything... It was looking a little dicey. Started the game, first throw of the game from his own 10-yard line, working against off coverage, trying to throw a dime downfield. Yeah, that throw was inside, low, inaccurate, and intercepted. Uh, unfortunately, checked every box on that particular play. But man, did he bounce back in a hurry. He gets this week's Gold Star Award. Finished with a QBR of 97.3 all things considered he had 22 completions on just 28 attempts one of those attempts by the way was a spike at the end of the game prior to throwing the game winner and I would take into account as well the fact that he completed 22 consecutive passes after missing his first five throws of the day that's remarkable I mean, absolutely remarkable. He also had five touchdowns. He also was very rarely off target. He was just dialed in from really the very beginning. And what was amazing too, is there's actually been quite a bit of conversation about Baker Mayfield. And I was just running some numbers and just looking into the Cleveland Browns a little bit more. I think they might be better without OBJ. Now, I'm not trying to be insensitive to Odell Beckham. I'm really not. But I think the first play of the game is a perfect example. The first passing play of the game, that is, is a perfect example of why I think they might be better with OBJ on the sideline. Because Baker Mayfield, over the course of the last two seasons, has absolutely forced the ball in the direction Of Odell Beckham. He has. Because there's this age-old adage that you tell quarterbacks, I don't know why, especially young ones at that. I don't think it's very smart, frankly. But hey, even when he's covered, he's open. That's not true. And I honestly believe if you watch Baker Mayfield the last couple years, he has taken that to heart. Even when Odell Beckham's covered, he's still open. Throw it anyways. Don't do it. Do you know that Baker Mayfield, over the last two years, is completing 80% of his passes when not targeting Odell Beckham? 80% when directing throws away from Odell. Do you know what his completion percentage When he throws in the direction of Odell, 54%. 26 percentage points lower in completion percentage. Do you know how many touchdowns Baker's thrown in Odell's direction the last two years? He's thrown six. Hardly a a great number, obviously. How many interceptions he's thrown? He's thrown eight interceptions. He has two more interceptions than touchdowns when targeting Odell Beckham. And Odell's supposed to be the rock, the superstar? No. Baker Mayfield's a better quarterback when going at Higgins and Bryant and Njoku and Landry, who's a very capable number one, by the way, and leaning on the third-best running offense in the entire NFL. And by the way, that's the third best rushing offense with Nick Chubb on the sideline. So that just tells you who Baker Mayfield is. I actually think Baker Mayfield, maybe it's a hot take. And I know it was against the Cincinnati Bengals. I get that. I'm not trying to lose sight of that. I'm not dumb. I recognize it. But Baker Mayfield... I think could be poised to have his best season as a pro and a critical one at that third year, you know, make decision on the fifth year option in the off season. But now that he's not going to have to worry about the ego and making sure his ACE alpha wide receiver gets his touches and looks. I think he's poised to stay within the offense. And I really like Kevin Stefanski. So. Color me bullish on the Cleveland Browns. Very excited about what I saw from Baker Mayfield. He gets the gold star. I almost gave him the bounce back award. Like I honestly did. I almost gave him the bounce back award. I couldn't do it though. I really couldn't do it because I I mean, to to get the bounce back award and the gold star, was like the two of the best awards you can have. So I decided against it. Decided against it. Now, as far as the tighten-up award, this really shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation. It goes to Cam Newton. Uh, I mean, I I don't know how else to really sum up his performance. Uh, I really don't. I pulled a couple clips. I mean, if you look first quarter, 7.56 remaining, they got internal pressure. He's got James White working against a defensive end. He throws it at his ankles, third and four, gets tackled two yards short of the sticks. Like that's the first example of not having an understanding, a proper understanding of where he is within the offense. He's not processing the information fast enough. He's not identifying the matchups that he can use to his advantage. He's not seeing the defensive rotation and guys cutting off and trying to double Julian Edelman. I mean, it's, it's bad. Then you fast forward a little bit more. He's slow with his footwork. Fast forward to third quarter, seven minutes, seven seconds remaining. He's had a seven step drop. He hitches the top for three straight resets, three straight hitches at the top off a seven step drive. You know how long that is? And by the way, his seven step drop takes forever. He's got long legs. Well, the linebackers are nine yards deep. Throw it to your running back. What are you waiting on? I mean, Tom Brady's made a living completing 60%, or excuse me, completing 60 balls a year to his backs. They made a living doing it. Throw it to your backs. Let them work. Burkhead's a stud. So is White. Let them eat. And then if you look at the second quarter, five minutes, 20 seconds remaining, like he throws a locked nine stop, locked hitch, locked comeback, whatever you want to call it, to the left hand side. He misses the receiver by nine yards. I looked at his hand. They kind of zoomed in afterwards. It looks like he's palming the football. I mean, you can't can't throw accurately. Anyone, anyone that's got a football at home or if you've got a football that you just drive around with, you're listening to inside the pocket right now, and maybe you do. I don't know. Maybe you're a football guy. Try throwing a football with the leather completely flat against the palm of your hand. Again, you can't be accurate with that. I don't care who you are. Cam's got some issues. He's got some demons right now that he's fighting. Now, he was replaced by Jared Stidham. And Jared Stidham, who has four interceptions and 27 career attempts, is not a better option at this point. I still think Cam's a better option. Man, he's got to play better. Like, where's the Cam we saw a couple weeks back against Seattle? Now, what we didn't know at that moment was that Seattle would give up about 370 yards passing a game. And Cam threw for what, 392? Somewhere around there. So he's just a little bit above average. But man, he hasn't looked the same. And people have blamed it on COVID. People have well, he's rusty. Well, you tell me Tannehill wasn't rusty? I would argue that he played pretty dang well. Uh when they came out and absolutely made quick work just a couple of weeks ago with the Buffalo Bills. I and mean, Tannehill didn't look rusty. Titans missed time. Against the Bills, by the way. He Completed 75% of his passes for 195 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, and had a passer rating of nearly 130. did not sound real rusty to me. I don't know. Now, I, I hope Cam gets the yeah, guy. It was really fun to watch him ball at the beginning of the season. It really was. Uh, how about this guy, too? Uh, bounce back award. You realize that Drew Brees now has led the New Orleans Saints to three straight victories. It wasn't that long ago when we're watching Drew Brees against the Chargers and he did not look real good, didn't look real comfortable in the first half of that football game. Second half, though, he was like a different guy. Well, fast forward another week. Granted, not going to lose a whole lot of sleep over the opponent. I don't think the Panthers are the best things at sliced bread, but they've done some decent things this year. Then Breeze goes out. Looks like vintage Breeze. I mean, now the efficiency numbers are starting to get back with where I know them to be. I mean, I'm I'm just amazed. I really am. I'm I'm, I'm impressed by what we're seeing from New Orleans. I'm not so sure that they are a I don't know if they're a deep playoff run team. Man, I feel good about them, though. I feel real good about him. So he was a candidate for the bounce back. Uh, didn't end up getting it, but a candidate nonetheless. Can the bounce back go to anyone other than Aaron Rodgers? Like, would it be appropriate to give it to anyone other than Aaron Rodgers? Against the Buccaneers, he looked lost. Had some bad decisions. His body language is bad. Thought he was inaccurate and late on a couple different occasions. Well, you fast forward one week. What's the recipe for success? Well, this year it's playing against the Houston Texans. And Rodgers was as efficient as efficient gets. Devontae Adams continues to be absolutely ridiculous when he's been available. Goes for nearly 200, a couple touchdowns, 16 targets, and 13 catches. And Rodgers. I thought was back to his old self. You know, a week ago, we were starting out the car. Oh, no, here he goes. Going to the slump again. Oh, no, no. Rodgers ain't going into a slump. Getting Rodgers getting started. Now, I didn't think he was ridiculously accurate. But I thought the throws that he was able to execute on a few different occasions against Houston was what we've come to expect from the future, future Hall of Famer, and who I think is arguably the greatest quarterback from a talent standpoint, not named Mahomes of all time. Now, finally, without much further ado, I want to get to some of the rookie performances because we had a chance this past weekend to watch both Joe Burrow and to see right now, by the way, what Justin Herbert's doing is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it really is. It's, it's starting to get ridiculous. He right now, Justin Herbert, is so ridiculously productive and pushes the ball downfield with such consistency. He had another three touchdown performance this past weekend in logging his first victory as an NFL quarterback, and you feel bad too, because my goodness, Joe Burrow, I thought was excellent, very efficient, ball out of his hands quickly, thought he made a lot of really good decisions against what is a really good passer. He got sacked four times, so it wasn't ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but man, I'm telling you, he is playing excellent football. I mean, he's looking like the first overall pick, but I'll tell you what, not to be outdone, Justin Herbert has been as advertised, and i full disclosure i didn't see it coming not this early. I thought in time he'd be potentially an elite level player man he is he is dealing it right now i mean he makes he makes really difficult throws look relatively easy and he's got a good cast too he's got some good good receivers around him uh good pieces um like his tight ends but Man, I'm telling you, he, he can drive the football. But that leads me to the next conversation is the fact that Tua Valoa will make his NFL debut as a starting quarterback this upcoming week. And I think he is making it in very difficult circumstances because he, unlike Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow, isn't replacing someone who's been productive. If anything, he's replacing someone that has been really productive these last couple of weeks. And if there's one thing we know about Ryan Fitzpatrick is that he deals a hot hand. Now, he can give you, he'll lose you a few. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, he'll lose you a few. He'll win you a few also, and he's done so. And prior to his, quote, benching, they were one game back in the AFC East. And given the current state of the New York football Jets, And the New England Patriots, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Miami makes a little bit of a run if they can somehow catch up to the Buffalo Bills. But I'm really curious to see what Tua does in his first NFL start coming up just a few days from now. That sums up the week seven performance. But up next, we have our guest, Mark Sanchez, former New York Jet, former NFL quarterback, former USC Trojan, former. Fifth, sixth overall pick, whatever it was, top of the first round in 2009, he joins Inside the Pocket. So thrilled to be joined by Mark Sanchez here on Inside the Pocket. Mark, what's happening, my friend? How
1: are we doing, man? Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, buddy. We know that you've been busy between baby alien dancing and singing on the mass singer <laughs> and, and all this other stuff. But let's start there. Like, how did that come about? Because I actually thought you <laughs> sounded pretty good. Like, all things considered, I've heard you sing. Not bad. You've been working on the pipes.
1: Thank you. I uh <laughs> uh Savannah at Athletes First is kind of the one who uh nominated me if you will for it i was supposed to actually do season three and it just didn't work out timing wise um hold on hold on one second uh but essentially they came back season four and said hey we have this crazy costume idea if you kind of be down with it it's going to take a lot of work because there's a puppet and it's kind of heavy but you know if you're up for it you could try it and i was like all right let's do it and you know me i'll i'll uh i'm down <laughs> for karaoke anytime.
0: I love it. No, that was good stuff, dude. Um, if you haven't seen it, check out Mark on The Mass Singer. Uh, or just type in Baby Alien, uh, The Mass Singer. That's that's Mark. Uh, spoiler alert. Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. We want to talk a little bit. Brought you on because you had to start as a rookie. I mean, stepping right in from SC. You start one year at SC. Have a remarkable year. Win the Rose Bowl. MVP of the Rose Bowl. All this stuff. Amazing accolades. All-American. All-Pac-10. What have you. You are then thrust into the lineup in New York for a team, Mark, that had legitimate, legitimate possibilities of doing some damage in the playoffs. So that's why I kind of wanted to bring you in to talk a little Tua. Tua now, game back of Buffalo, or at least they were when they decided to make the change. What was your approach as a rookie, knowing that you have a team or a roster that's ready to roll right now, if you can help get them there?
1: Right. I think you, you made some good points and good distinctions because, everybody always asks, like, should rookies play? Should rookie quarterbacks play? And just like anything, right, it, it depends. And it depends on how good the team is because, uh, in my opinion, you know, when you do have a good team like that, it really does help a young quarterback, of course, especially when you have the run game and the defense that we had. So, you know, essentially there were a couple games my rookie year that, you know, they, were, they won in spite of me, right? We won games despite my poor play. Well, some teams, you can't afford to do that. And you got to remember that the Jets traded up from 15. They were 9-7 and the year before with Brad Favre. So they were a good ball club. They just were trying to figure a couple things out. We needed a couple pieces, right? Then we went and got Braylon Edwards. And that really changed the dynamic of our wide receiver core. So when you talk about Tua, you know, he's had a chance, I think, which is great to watch somebody for a little bit, to watch a real pro like Fitz who's been all over the league, I think that really helps him. Um, and, man, I, I think the only issue with him was, was physically, right, his health. And as long as he was healthy, as long as he's healthy, he, he you know, he could be the guy. It sounded like he had a great camp. And, uh, you know, if he wasn't – if we weren't talking about a hip injury last year at Alabama, he might have started sooner. But I think this was their chance to rest him up, make sure he was completely healthy, and now he's going to have a shot, like you said, with a, with a ball club that has a chance to win this division. The Patriots are a mess right now, and the Jets are even worse. So it's really Miami and Buffalo, right, or Buffalo and New England, if they can get their act together. So this is a, this is a huge, huge transition for them. I was a little surprised, frankly, that they went to it right now. I,
0: I thought they would later in the year, but yeah, it but I thought it'd be after Fitz through one of his normal four interception games, you know, like, I right. Mean, <laughs> no doubt. Not after he balled. Right. The dude's dealing as hot a hand as he's dealt since Buffalo back in the day, or I guess he had a year in New York that was pretty dang solid, but I mean, it's been a while since we've seen him play at this level and he he's been balling. So I'm with you, but it's amazing. Do you think Mark, that the good play of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert led Miami to this decision thing, man, these guys are ready to go right now. We might as well put them out there and maybe he can elevate us the way Justin Herbert has the chargers or Joe Burrow has the Bengals.
1: I mean, the fact that the Bengals aren't in any game at all is 100% because Joe Burrow, he's playing his ass off. It is unbelievable to watch. Uh, But, you know, I think they're going to be, he's going to be really good. We all knew he was pretty good, but this is, that's been really impressive. Uh, but yeah, back to, back to your question. I just, I didn't see it happening now. And um, you know, I'm, I'm stoked for Tua. It's great. He's just, he's going to have a lot coming at him real fast, you know? And uh, especially with such high expectations, like you go, think of like Matt Stafford, if you're drafted one, two, three, four overall, like, those teams are generally not very good, right? So the expectations are low, right? People are, people are placing bets for the Bengals to win five and a half games, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the just expectations are lower. Now when you come in with such high expectations, that's, you know, if you achieve them, great for him. But, man, I mean, you could totally see how, you know, these other young quarterbacks playing well, Herbert uh, Burrow, it's almost like the team couldn't help themselves. Right. It's almost like the dolphins couldn't help themselves. And they're just like, gosh, okay. We want some of that too. Yeah. So
0: I'm kind of with you on that. It does feel a little bit like it was kind of predicated off of what's going on elsewhere. I want to ask you too about your time in Philly, because I think you were on the cutting edge, Mark, you were with the Eagles. You were with Chip Kelly and Chip Kelly was kind of the first college mind, if you will. That started the transition in the NFL to, hey, we can do RPOs up here. We can do some of the things like this, like this will work if we commit to it. Now, it was met with serious resistance, but ultimately, when you see what's going on in Kansas City, you see what's going on in other places around the NFL, the RPO has taken over the league. So, uh, I guess, what was that transition like? when you were there in 2014, when this is just starting to be a big part of an NFL style offense that uses some college fundamentals.
1: Oh, it was, uh, remember like the old nows and like one step slants.
0: And yeah. Stuff? Oh, like, oh, you can maybe, you can if that, Coast, will, yeah. Yeah, if that will, yeah. If that will drops in the box, I can throw that slant. It's the only RPO I have.
1: So anytime we would do that at USC or even with the jets, uh, I would, Anytime we had tags, I would try and throw it, right? So they had to stop taking, they had to stop calling the tags because if it was there, (laughs) if it was available, I'm going to take it, right? Even if it's not open, I was just like, all right, sweet, let's throw it instead of running. (laughs) Well, um, so they had to stop doing that. Well, this was a chance to do that with literally your feet in cement and just chuck a ball out to the sidelines. And essentially the idea was, at least the way Chip, Explained it to me is if you can get one of these plays out early and RPO out early, we're gonna get the defense running from sideline to sideline. After we get the first, first down, those big guys are gonna get tired. We're gonna go so fast that somebody's gonna blow a gap, and there goes our 40-yard run. Right? Like that was the idea. Get them moving side to side, slow them down, tire them out, and then break a big run. And then you sprinkle in your pass game stuff, whatever it is. And we would just try and go as fast as we could. And so I really liked it. I loved it, actually. And I got pretty good at those dang RPOs. It's funny. Uh, G.J. Kinney was one of our backups there in Philly. And now he's in Hawaii. And during quarantine, he was making cut-up tapes for his his quarterbacks at Hawaii on how to throw RPOs. And he goes, bro, you're still a great RPO thrower. I don't care what <laughs> anybody else says. <laughs> he's like, I know you went to the playoffs and all this other stuff. He's like, but. RPOs are pretty damn good, <laughs> <laughs> right. like, hey, bro. But they're they're fun, man. They're free completions, and they they really are all over the field. Now it's just unfortunate that Chip couldn't stick around. It was it wasn't the X's and O's side. It was you know more the relationship side with sure. with certain things and and adjusting to that NFL atmosphere. But uh, as far as scheme, uh, the NFL was was primed and ready for it, and now people are finally taking advantage of it.
0: I, I feel like. If, it, if chip were to come to the league five years later, he would be like Eric B is now like the most coveted mind or like Lincoln Riley is to a certain extent. Cause Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, everyone thinks that he's the next guy, you know, we'll cliff Kingsbury's got the Cardinals five and two.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I, I didn't see that one coming either. I didn't see Kingsbury panning out to be totally honest. I just, I didn't know if it would work. I thought it was a little too Mickey mouse, a little too gimmicky. And there they are the other night beating the Seahawks. So I'm like, holy cow. Uh, but, man, I think he he was a little bit early. Um, and there's a place for those things. But you can see Kingsbury's adopted some, you know, NFL-style stuff as well. He still has his, his core offense. But you can tell they're doing some drop-back stuff. They're doing some concepts that other people run as well. And I'm sure a lot of that's Larry Fitzgerald and Hopkins and those guys like, hey, you know, we used to run this play, blah, blah, blah. So I'm sure he's adding to it because he can't just go, you know, 100% of what he did in college. Right. And Chip, Chip added stuff too, just from Pat Shermer and other coaches that were there. So, it, I mean, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, but I can't even. I just would have loved to have learned that system. I just think it's it's so neat. And it obviously has so many applications. We visit with Mark Sanchez here on Inside the Park Pocket. Mark, we'll get you out of here on this. If you were to give advice to Tua or any of these rookie quarterbacks you know, on how to handle a playoff environment, because what people have lost sight of is that you, at one point, I don't know if you still do, nobody had more road playoff wins in NFL history than Mark Sanchez, and you yeah, did it. The, uh, you did it in two years. Are <laughs> you and TV or twelve are tied.
1: Yeah, well, that that was funny because it <laughs> the year uh, I did a little skit on it actually, as as if uh, Brady came. Uh, Wilton Spate actually played Tom Brady, and we adopted the uh, George Steinbrenner model from Seinfeld where you can't really see his face. And we just had him in like a jumpsuit that had a number 12 on it. And he had a bunch of rings on his fingers. And essentially the idea behind the skit is before his Kansas city, uh, playoff win two, two seasons ago, he comes to my office, you know, like the the week of the game asking for my road playoff manual kind of idea. Right. (laughs) So the reason we did it is because people, on instagram and twitter and people are texting me like hey did you know tom brady doesn't have as many road playoff victories as you and i'm like yeah it's kind of a backhanded compliment because they're always playing home games right, right? <laughs> he's got like 30 playoff wins dude. <laughs> right. so uh, i'm like okay like thank you whatever me and scotty come up with it and and we do the skit which is fun but honestly the 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 most important thing, and it's not just the quarterback. It does start with the quarterback and the head coach for sure. You know that. But it really is the rest of the guys, right? And And getting on a playoff run, it makes – it keeps guys interested and it keeps a fire going inside people that you've never seen before. And you see guys wanting to stay after practice. You see guys wanting to watch extra film. You see guys hanging out. Going to dinner every week because we get on a roll, and that's kind of like, you know, the the superstitious thing that they gotta do. On Thursdays, they go eat at whatever restaurant with all the linemen or whatever. But it just brings a team together. And that was the best part. I think the winning's great. The football's great, but you feel this like brotherhood. And it feels really like a family. And you're you're fighting these battles every week with your boys. And so it is that is the best that is the best feeling I've had in the league so if these guys get a chance to do that and I hope they do um I think Tua Burrow um you know Herbert those guys have led teams before it'll come natural to them and you know there's nothing <laughs> it sounds stupid but each game is an elephant right just bite it one that one one bite at a time there's there's no you don't have to do anything extra special you don't have to come up with new footwork and new reads and anything like that, whatever got you there is going to get you through it. And, uh, and these guys will grind it out and have great years, but it, it could be, could be a huge year for two. I'm i I'm excited to see what he does.
0: It's going to be awesome. I can't tell you how much we appreciate the time. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing you on ABC every single Saturday. When you toss it to me, when we're at the stadium, we toss it back to the boot. You toss it back to the booth. Don't don't throw any jabs, dude. You tried to bury me a couple times, and I just, I, I'm so off guard. Like, I'm totally ready never. for Nagandi and booger smoke, but your smoke, we're supposed to be on the same <laughs> side, dude.
1: You got it. You got it. I'll take it easy on
0: I love it. Uh, he's Mark Sanchez. He is tied for the most playoff victories by rookie quarterback with Joe Flacco and has the third most postseason road victories ever by an NFL quarterback. Mark, we appreciate the time. That'll do it for us. Thanks to Mark Sanchez and Andrew Emmer for all of us here. At Inside the Pocket, I'm Greg McElroy. We look forward to being back with you next week. And we appreciate, as always, you downloading our podcast wherever it is. You can get your podcast. And of course, you can get us on the SiriusXM app. Enjoy the football, everybody.